0: I have a question. Can this generation of Christians affect this generation of humans on planet Earth? Can we transform society? So we have a, so I'm hearing no, I'm hearing yes, and I'm seeing, uh, is, is, is a good portion of people in the room going, I wish, I hope, maybe. uh, I want to say this. If the church staying vived cannot affect the surrounding community, then maybe we ought to just buy a state, kick everyone else out of it, and have all the Christians just live there and create a Christian state, no non-Christians allowed, and then maybe Jesus will come back and we'll stay saved, and we won't have to put up with the world's nonsense. Does that sound like a good plan? Why is that not allowed? If, you, if we can't transform the world, then why would we try? Just Let's just hold up, stop getting hurt and put up, persecuted and all the nonsense. Why wouldn't we just hold up? Well, what's the point of being salt and light? You just heard most of us in the room are kind of wishy-washy about whether it's even going to work. Oh, so we know ourselves. We're not, you're not that impressed with you? I'm not that impressed with me either. I've seen some people who are impressed with themselves. It's not impressive. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Pride yeah. is gross. Yeah. One time I saw a preacher, and he was preaching, and he was just, mm. He was, he was like a rooster. You know what I'm <laughs> talking you know, No, not a rooster. Uh, what are those super pretty but ugh, annoyingly loud peacock? Peacocks. They're so beautiful until they start talking. No, no. There's going to be an accident. Someone's going to have an accident. I don't know what happened. That rock fell off that top of that building or something and hit him right in the head. But, you know, peacocks, they strut around and they advertise their awesomeness. Congratulations, I'm here. You're welcome. Oh, stop. So I went to church and I saw this guy and he was prancing around on stage. And you could tell the church was like his little kingdom. And everyone was like, here comes the man of God. Oh. Let me go out on a limb here. This generation of Christians is called to be a witness to this generation of humans. To be a credible witness that Jesus is real and he is Lord. Lord. I'm not saying they're all going to say yes. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying our, our assignment, our assignment from the king is to live in the world in such a way that the world, this generation, sees a credible witness. You got it. Yeah. Credible witness. And Jesus said that just a little yeast when... Worked into a lump of dough affects the entire lump. If you've ever been in a cave, pitch black, perfectly dark, and then have, have you ever done this? You're in a cave and they go, and now we're going to turn off the lights. And everyone becomes a child. I don't care how old you are. You're like, this is my favorite part. (laughs) And then a few people are like, "Ah, I'm afraid of the dark. And you're like, oh, calm down and you wave your hand in front of your face, and you think you can see it, but you can't. It's in your mind. And then somebody lights one little lighter or a match, and the entire cave goes from dark, pitch black to you can see everything, because your eyes have adjusted to the dark. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, so don't hide that light. And why would you hide the light? to keep it from going out. Yeah, I know, we don't, we don't think that way because we have modern lights that are in no danger from wind. No, 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 he says, get a lampshade to deal with that and then put it where it belongs and one lamp will light up the whole house. He intends his people to be in the world but not of the world and by being a credible witness, this is why revival matters to me, Because until we return to the vibrance we're made for and saved for, we can't fulfill the assignment we're on. Do you see the relationship between revival and our mission? And our mission is, yes, to lead people to receive Jesus, evangelism, but our mission is more than just getting people to receive Jesus. Our mission is to be the hands and feet of Jesus, our mission is to worship Jesus, which means to arrange our lives around his wisdom and his way so that our ent- every aspect of who we are brings glory to his name by proving that his ways work and are good. So our, our, our relationship to education, our relationship to work, our relationship to money, our relationship to our wives and kids and grandparents and employers and the environment and everything is an opportunity to show the world what it looks like to be a credible witness, to follower of Jesus. And he says that you'll be like yeast. He says you'll be like light. And then there's another image he uses. Do you remember it? Salt. You can pickle things. You can, what's it called when you jelly and jam things? So you you can use sugar to do that. I know we have refrigerators. We can keep our fruit cold, it'll last longer. A while ago they didn't. You had options. They weren't very there weren't very many options. You can salt cure them, you can sugar them, you can candy them. You can candy your your ham. I I wouldn't I think ham should be salted personally. But Jesus says, You're the salt of the earth. You're the preserving force of moral reality, not because you're standing there preaching and teaching and yelling and disapproving of the world. Sinner's going to sin. How is anyone shocked that sinners sin? How is that a a news story? The church needs to stop being morally outraged by the worldliness of the world. Get a clue. Come on. Stop being offended by sinners doing what sinners do when sinners are going to sin. Duh. You just get offended with your own sin, repent for a couple of years, then you'll be a demonstration of the, for the world of a better way. If you'll show a better way, maybe they'll know a better way. Instead, they go, oh, Christians are all hypocrites. And I go, well, you're not wrong, but you're also one too. But the correct response is to say, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm going to go try to fix that. Right? Salt preserves by showing a better way, by being a better way. That's right. Amen. Not by saying a better way, but by showing a better way. OK, let me cut to the chase. To those who would say, "You cannot affect this generation," I just want to point you to a few chapters in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19. They come to Ephesus, they go to the synagogue, they explain that Jesus is the Messiah, and then there's a stir. And the next thing you know, it says, "The whole city is in an uproar, and all these people, all these people who are involved in demonic worship brought their idols and burned them, brought their books they were using for magic stuff, and they burned them. And there was this huge bonfire worth millions of dollars. Then, then, the silversmiths got together and said, this is a problem. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you read Acts 19? The silversmiths get together and they go, this dude who's been turning the whole world upside down has come here and he has disrupted our economy. You know... Artemis, a comet fell and landed in in, in Ephesus and they made a statue out of pieces. It was a a thing. You know Artemis, her image fell from heaven and and was worshipped here in our great city. All these people are saying that these man-made gods are no god at all. And they have a huge riot because so many people have thrown away their idols in the city that it has changed the fabric of the town. And it has affected the economy of the city. So they have a riot and they scream, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for like hours. Or Acts 13, which says, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. By the way, the book of Acts is peppered with references, sentences just like that. The book of Acts is peppered with little sentences that you should not skate over and ignore. Acts 13, 44, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Could you take that in and think about that? Could you think about that with Milford? Could you think about that with Seaford? Could you think about that with Greenwood? That when the church is in her healthy state, when she's revived, when she's just doing the simple things she's called to do, it impacts things. If we don't think it's possible, we're certainly not going to try. Like nobody broke the four-minute mile when they believed it wasn't possible. Acts 13, 49. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Verses like that are all over the book of Acts. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. So now we're gonna talk about the Welsh revival. There's a 25 year old kid named Evan Roberts. And before he was even like born, There was a preacher who would walk outside and he would cry and he would pray and he would weep tears for his country of Wales. God, give me Wales. God, give me Wales. That's an interesting prayer. God, give me Wales. God, give me Wales. A kid grew up in his church under his praying, under his preaching, with his vision of God, with his... That's so fascinating to me that that preacher wasn't the one who was the preacher in the revival. But that preacher shaped the values of the one who did it. And he got to see the answer to his prayers in his lifetime. And this little kid, Evan, says, hey, can I, can I have some time in a service? And he goes, yes. So he gives him a little bit of time in a service. Now the preacher didn't give him the main sermon. He just said, if anyone wants to stay and listen to a little extra thing here, Evan would like to share some things. Next thing you know, the altar's flooded with people who are seeking God and they mean it they mean it. Can I just say that's a huge part of what revival is? You mean it. You mean it enough to change. Like an apology is one thing, but apologies are not repentance. You don't have to apologize to repent. Your life will prove that an apology would have been sincere. Now, by all means, apologize. But they're not the same thing. I'm going to read you this. One of the marked characteristics of the Welsh Revival was an inescapable sense of God's presence. Church services that had been cold and formal began to throb with new life. Believers and unbelievers alike came under intense conviction of sin, confession, and restitution, sometimes costly, became the order of the day. Churches were crowded day and night Not in response to a promotion or advertising campaign or the celebrity of the speakers. The churches were filled because people were irresistibly drawn by the Spirit of God. And within five months, 100,000 new converts were added to the churches. Five years later, 80% of those who had professed faith in Christ were still going. The impact of the revival was felt in every nook and cranny of society. The gambling and alcohol businesses lost trade. When I drive past the strip club, I tell it to close in Jesus' name, by the way, in case anyone's interested. Outstanding debts were paid. Taverns and brothels were closed. Major sporting events were canceled or postponed because no one cared. Judges were presented with white gloves because there were no cases to try. The illegitimate birth rate was reduced by 44% in two countries. Mules in the mines had to be retrained because they didn't understand the instructions without all the cussing. As news of the revival spread, God began to move in other countries around the world. The United States experienced some of the overflow of what God was doing in Wales. On January 20, 1905, the headline headline on the front page of the Denver Post read, entire city pauses for prayer at the high tide of business. In Portland, Oregon, 240 departments closed their doors every day from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. while their customers and employees attended prayer meetings. In Atlantic City, ministers reported that out of a population of 50,000, they could only find 50 adults left who were unconverted. And you probably didn't know about the Welsh revival because it didn't happen in your generation. Oh, the living. What I mean is people who are on earth, we are very, very myopic in our focus and in our memory like, if it doesn't affect us and our plans for the weekend, it's probably not real or irrelevant. I can't study the future, but I can study the past. And it's probably a pretty good idea to know where we came from so I can let other people pay my stupid tax and so I can reverse engineer what went right. Here's what Evan preached. He had four simple things that he preached. Number one, confess all known sin, receiving forgiveness through Jesus Christ. If you know it's sin, confess it. This is what I've been doing, it's wrong, I'm sorry, forgive me, change me, help. Well that's intense, because you know the first thing that has to die for you to confess sin. You know how much we carefully curate everyone around us, their image of us? I mean it's not like it got better in an age of social media. We're just all so much better online. Some of you are like, not me. <laughs> not me, I leave my jowl in. <laughs> I don't do my hair. I don't, I don't even edit the photo. But that has to die. Yeah. If what you think about me is more important to me than pleasing God, I'm in trouble. Okay. Humans yeah. struggle with that. All of us humans struggle with that. Yeah. Number two, the stuff in your life that you're unsure about, you don't have a clear Bible verse about it, but you just feel iffy with it. Get rid of it. Remove everything doubtful. Number one, confess all your known sins. Number two, get rid of anything doubtful. And I I guarantee you, if I gave gave you a piece of paper and a pen in 10 minutes, you'd have a list of things you know you shouldn't be doing that you are, and you'd have a list of things that you're not sure, but it does bother you, and you feel like you lost respect for yourself the more you tolerate it in your life. Third thing, be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. Yes, Lord, I'm ready. Some of us are ready to obey the Lord eventually, after we wrestle through it, after we argue with him, after we have a week or two or a couple years to really dig down deep and discern whether it's really the Lord. And Evan says, the more you waffle, the more you compromise your conscience. And the compromised conscience is the death to the vibrancy of the Christian life. If you don't have a clean conscience, which comes really from two things, full surrender and I'm under the blood. But you, if, you have, if you're under the blood but you don't have full surrender, your heart, knows, your heart knows better than that. Even if you're in a church that teaches false doctrine and says, keep on sinning and you'll still get there. It's fine, no problem. That's not helpful because you're fighting against the, way, the nature God put in us. You want to cooperate with the new nature God put in us. Now, a lot of Christians actually think they are sinners. They do. They literally sit in church and hear preachers say, you are a sinner. You ain't nothing but a dirty, rotten sinner. You're going to be a sinner and you're going to be sinning until the day you die. Well, then I guess death will save me from sin eventually. And Jesus was just sort of, you know, stamping me with something temporarily to hold me over until death finally saved me. Praise death. That's not the gospel. The gospel says you are not a sinner anymore. You were a sinner and now you are a saint. It doesn't mean you don't still sin. It means you are When you sin, it's because you've forgotten who you are. You're not living out of who you really are anymore. You're living out of who you once were. So every day you put off the old, you're not a sinner anymore, you are a saint, you put on Jesus, I'm not led by the flesh, I'm led by the Spirit. And if you find that you were walking in the flesh, you apologize and you get back on mission. And it only takes a minute. Be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly is the third. And the fourth thing that Evan Roberts says, simple, simple stuff, publicly confess Jesus as Lord. What he means is don't be ashamed of being associated with Jesus. Be a Christian in public. Name Jesus. Don't be snarky about it. Don't be sassy with people. Well, I'm a Christian, so, you know, you can kiss my grits. No, be be kind, be respectful, be humble, be helpful. But don't be embarrassed to go by the name Jesus. Oh, man, I've been made fun of for just publicly talking about my faith. I've been the butt of the joke. I did it didn't kill me. <laughs> I, I survived. I'm okay. It was, that's helpful. It's really helpful when, when you when you realize, oh, rejection isn't gonna kill me. No. Huh. I'm alright. Okay. Well, what was the name? Nineteen oh four and nineteen oh five. In nineteen oh six, he had a breakdown, a nervous breakdown. I mean he he was a celebrity, a national hero. And everywhere he went, can you do this? Can you do this? Evan, can you sign this? Can you come here? Can you preach here? Can you pray for me? Can you do this? And he tried to keep the pace going. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? We got to do all the good we can do. And he had a breakdown, total breakdown, nervous breakdown, burnt out, completely shattered his psyche, went into a full depression. And he was basically never heard from again. One meeting he he spoke at that somebody else organized and the fire came again. And at his dad's funeral, he prayed and the fire came again. And people thought, it's coming, it's coming. So he was still that guy. He was still that guy. He was always that guy. Something broke him and he never recovered. That, I can't just tell the story of the revival and not also tell you... He didn't handle it. He didn't choose a sustainable pace. He didn't know what to do with celebrity. He hated the idea that he was a celebrity. So he basically went into seclusion, came under the influence of an older lady who uh, took care of him, but also convinced him that a lot of stuff that had happened in the revival was really the devil. So if you think that your revival work is going to lead to a lot of deception, are you going to keep doing it? And one thing I'll say about Evan Roberts, he seems to really have understood holiness, but it doesn't look like he understood grace. And if revival is a whole lot of what we do, striving to please God and be perfect, there's a shelf life for that kind of mindset. You can't run that race 40 years. It all depends on you. We have to be perfect. Oh no, the devil did this.
1: And I didn't realize
0: it was the devil. He came under some wrong influences and it took him completely out of ministry. Now, I'm not saying that simple depression didn't also take him out of ministry. It might have. But I, I want to look at that stuff too. Because I want, I, I, you know, I was in a room full of pastors a couple weeks back and I realized that I'm, I'm not normal. Ah, I'm dead serious. There's 150 people in here. I think if you gave me about 10 hours, I could lay hands on every single one of them. I'm fine with that. Let's do that. That's the only agenda. Let's lay hands on every one of them. I want every single one of them to have an encounter with God. And I'm not okay with something less. I'm not okay with, it was a good sermon. I'm not okay with, it was a good service. I'm not okay with anything less than, let's go. Come on. I realized that. I was like, oh, I'm not normal. Oh, I'm, I'm a revivalist. Okay. I also happen to be a pastor. How does that work? I don't know. I think gateway's not normal either. I really do. I don't think gateway is normal. We're not a normal church. And so we have to stop trying to be a normal church and try to be what God made us to be. Some people probably are called to be balanced. We're not called to be balanced. Y'all are made for signs and wonders, hearing God's voice, and walking in power and intimacy. And you go, well, yeah, but that's all churches. Look, I don't know about all churches. I know about what we're called to. So application to us. Application number one, See God. Seek God. Every single one of us needs to seek God. But revival is corporate. So there needs to be times where we seek God together regularly. Almost every revival seems to me to have been a response to God's people getting real and seeking God. Application point number two. Rearrange your life. Rearrange your life around taking risks to give God an opportunity to do the impossible. I don't know how to do that corporately as much, but I know that's my job as a leader, to help somehow arrange our corporate life to give y'all opportunity to take risks, to obey the Holy Spirit, so that God can do what only God can do. Because if we only do what we can do, we never get to let God do what only he can do. If all we ever do is what we can do, then we never gave God an opportunity to do what only he can do. That's right. Right. Like I can talk, but if we don't pray for the sick, then we're not giving God an opportunity to do what we can't do. I can talk, but if I don't lay hands on you and, have the Holy Sp- and give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to actually come in and raise the whole emotional condition and psychological condition from something to something, revival's God's work and he seems unwilling to do it without our cooperation. Uh, Prayer team, do you guys have any words of knowledge for today? Um,
2: Back to what Tim was talking about uh, being rejected, I I have a a preacher that I listen to quite a bit, one of my favorite preachers, and he was saying that um, you'll find your greatest direction through your greatest rejection. So I'll say that again. You'll find your greatest direction through your greatest rejection. So... um, I just want to encourage you guys to uh it's it's okay to be rejected uh sometimes and um there's there's things that you can work through that that uh that can definitely make a difference. And back what uh Tim was talking about, why do we do the things that we do? I think it's great to ask questions because sometimes we just go through the motions and keep doing things over and over and over again and <clears throat> this girl was helping her mom cook a ham one day in the kitchen, and um, she says, Mom, why do you cut off the ends of the ham? She says, I don't know, that's the way your grandma did it, that's the way her grandma did it, I don't know. So she's like, well, I'm gonna call grandma and ask her why she cut off the end of the ham. <laughs> so she calls her grandmom up and says, Mama, why do you cut off the end of the ham? She says, well, the pans that we had back then weren't big enough, the hams were too big, so we had to cut off the end of the ham, so.
1: So they cut him off with a big old hand. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so now they got bigger pans nowadays, so you really don't have to cut off the end of the hand. But it's good to ask questions like that sometimes. Um because God never does the same thing um the same way every time. He he just don't. And it's good to ask questions why we do things sometimes. So I just want to encourage you guys to uh stand in faith and keep doing what you're doing and, and don't give up.
1: Amen. Um so one thing is uh, like uh, I got in here this morning, and um, my back on my right side has been like just like excruciatingly hurting me. So, if anybody in here has a has any issue going on with the right side of their back, um, I want you to come up here. But also, when Tim was talking, um, revival is not just a corporate thing; it's a personal thing. And what you do in your personal thing will will come out in the corporate. So God wants, like, I felt like he's, he said for me to do this. So he wants to challenge you guys, not just in your corporate time of worship and seeking God and going after revival. He wants you to do that in your personal time. Okay. And, it, and he just told me to, you know, to challenge you guys to do that. Um, and, you know, and if you struggle with that, just ask the Lord to help you, you know, just seek his face and Tim said something on the thread the other day and it just really hit home with me it's like God doesn't want us to seek his hand he wants us to seek his face you know so he's calling us as a church to seek his face and not to seek his hand so that's what I got you got anything Carl
3: I just felt like this whole service before the service started and some of the worship songs father is a good good father let's let's just give a round of applause to Jesus And the Father and the Holy Spirit for what He's done for us. we can shout, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Father, go with us today. Uh, Bless our youth as they come home today, Father. Grant them traveling mercies. We thank you for what you've already done in their lives up in Pennsylvania and the move of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that. And uh, help us, Father, to be a witness to the world around us by the way we live and also sometimes that we can share. We can share. We thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.